Stonecat Educational are a leading publisher of professional development books for educators around the world. Check out their titles at johncat.com. Welcome back to EduWeather. It's been a while, but we're back. Um, and back with more hot topical discussion about Scottish education than you could ever imagine. So we've had a little break, um, but Jude and I are now back and ready to go, aren't we? We're very excited to be back. We have had a very, very long summer holiday that is way <laughs> yeah. through to the Christmas holidays and almost at the February holidays. But now we Absolutely. are feeling refreshed and ready to come back. What have we been doing? What have you been doing, Jace? I've been in the Bahamas for the last <laughs> seven months. Where have you been? Nothing, nothing much. Really. <laughs> Only kidding. No, probably it's consisted of walks, walks, and more walks. Walks, walks, walks. I've done a lot of reading. I've been reading. Have a you? Lot. You've yeah. Done well. Just a lot of uh, a lot of children's literature. Reading a lot. Oh, don't oh. get me started on children's literature. I love books at the moment. So my favourite, let me go get my book box and tell you what I've got in it at the moment. Oh, yes. I love it. Is this your book box or Brody's book? Brody's. So he's eight months and I've got to stop myself from buying books all the time because I would just buy a book every day if I could. (laughs) (laughs) So my favourite book at the moment has got to be... The Snail and the Whale. I know that's quite classic. Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler. It's quite a classic. I know that. Okay, let's go a wee bit off-piste. What about uh, The Jolly Postman? Jolly Postman. That is Jolly it. Postman and Other People's Letters. Bit older, but um, still good. Alan Alberg that writes that one. Yeah, Janet and Alan Alberg. Great. And... A classic, Harry McClary. Of course, classic. And one that you actually bought him is John Classen. I was going to say, do you have any John Classen books? Because he's my. I favorite. want my hat back. And do you know a personal one? And there's a funny story about this. Do you remember this book? Yes. The Little Fish and Mummy by Lucy Cousins. Um, I think you you got a recommendation in a bookshop about this and you I, were not sure at all. It is a brilliant book. Can is I it really? It oh, is wonderful. so good. Brody loves it. That's a shout out to Far From The Madden Crowd. Yes. Great bookshop. So um, there you are. That's the big box. So I love children's literature at the moment. Always looking for recommendations. I'm glad you're enthused. Catherine Rayner, she's one of my favourite picture book authors. She's amazing. Mm, okay. Yeah, Augustus and his Augustus lost his smile, and um, there's one called Smelly Louie. Incredible, really, really good book. I will get Brody it. I'm going to buy it for him and send it to you. Okay. You cut off a wee bit there, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, Giraffes Can't Dance is another favourite at the moment. Giraffes Can't Dance. that? Very good book. Oh, it's a very so good. good. Uh, growth Mindset book, that one. People do it. Oh, I love it. Kristen gets really sad in the middle, but it's, it bounces back. It's really good. Bit of a cliffhanger. Oh, anyway, good. so what, have, what about your children's literature? What have you um, 
been reading? Well, I've been reading a lot, firstly, a lot of research about the importance of teachers understanding children's literature and the impact that that can have on the children that you work with and the children that you teach. So I've been, yeah, reading an awful lot more kind of chapter books kind of further up the school because that tends to be the, the children that I work with. Um, I just read a fantastic book that was just out uh, by a gentleman called Christopher Edge called Space Oddity. Oh. Uh, it's a sort of a bit of an ode to David Bowie. Okay. Uh, the, the boy, and I'm not revealing too much, but it's a boy that is embarrassed by his dad and turns out his dad's an alien. Very good. Um, mm. Bug Belly by Paul Morton had me laughing and chortling. It was very, very good. Me and my son Arthur really loved that one. The other one I've been really enjoying is um, The Thirteen Story Treehouse. Very good sort of series of just mad adventures and things like that. But I, um, it's just a really good escape from all the sort of... Madness at the moment. <laughs> and I'm enjoying that. Yeah, so yeah, reading and walking and reading and walking has been what I have been up to for the last, what, six or seven months since we've last been on the airwaves. But Yeah, and I think that escapism is really important, whether it's reading, whether it's watching a film or doing a wee bit of exercise. It's really quite important, isn't it, to get us through these tough times. Indeed it is, but I must say it feels good to be back. It feels good to it be It does, yeah. A bit of a chat. So I think tonight uh, we're going to be discussing, I think it would be silly of us not to discuss what's happening in the world right now and how we're both experiencing that from a primary perspective, from a secondary perspective. There's been a lot, obviously, that's been happening. And mm -hmm. I think what we'll try and do, or we'll certainly endeavour to do this evening, not just to make it a conversation where we um, are doom and gloom, we'll really try and think about <laughs> Please no, I'm not sure I can cope with any more doom and gloom. I need this to be upbeat, positive and forward thinking. And I think there is so much cause for celebration in yeah. what's been happening. And I think it would be really good to discuss that to discuss where we're going and what the kind of developments are and maybe make some guesses about what's going to happen next in this mad soap opera that has become our lives. Uh, I think also this evening I'd like to discuss some of our um, John Cat publications. Um, mm -hmm. Sponsoring of the show. So John Cat publishers sponsor Edgeblather. Indeed. And I have read amongst, as much as I do read children's literature, I also read professional literature as well. And um, there's two books that I'd like to discuss tonight, and I'd like to sort of just hear your thoughts on them and talk to you a little bit about them as well, if that's OK. OK, look forward to that. Yeah, sounds great. So let's get started then. Without further ado, then, what about remote learning? So even the, the language that we're using around it, I think is really quite interesting just from a start off. Um, you know, remote learning or digital learning, because I think the, the phrase that we're using at the moment is remote learning, because we recognise that it's not all about digital. And although digital is a, a huge part of it, and certainly in the, the delivery of what young people need to do, you know, using things like Google Classroom or Teams um, or Classroom, uh, Microsoft Classroom as part of the OneNote thing, um, you can't escape the digital element, can you? But yeah. I think one of the things we're really focused on is really considering that actually young people can't sit in front of a screen 
all day, every day. So you need to give them some offline tasks as well. Yeah, I agree. I think there's been a real sort of condensed period of time where we've had to consider um, the mechanics of how we can actually do this, how can we do this, and then the possibilities of knowing that, yes, just because we can do live lessons from 9 till 3.15, you could technically replicate a whole day, but actually there's an ethical consideration, a moral consideration that you've touched on there about actually we know that's not the best thing for children to do. And even in a high school, do you know, the kind of four minutes that you move between a classroom, that that break is enough in and of itself and lunchtime and the social elements that exist in a day as well. Even like primary school children hanging up their coats on a peg in the morning, like that's mm-hmm. such an important part of the day that you can't replicate and you can't mm-hmm. uh, bring online. So I think the fact that and this is one of the things I think that is a cause for celebration, the fact that teachers are are clearly in every single action, every single decision that's being made, the welfare of the child is right at the centre of it. And it feels really it feels really powerful. It's just mm-hmm. it's a really interesting time, I think, that we're that we're uh, working through at the moment. I think, though, I would want to kind of steer the conversation a little bit first to, to just some of the innovation that we've seen in terms of digital technology and how that's mm-hmm. used in such a creative way for for children young people families to be engaging with school in a in a way that I've never ever seen happen before obviously nobody's ever seen happen before what are some of the I'm kind of putting you on the spot here but what are some of your the favorite things or the things that you'd shout about that you've seen happening with colleagues with yourself with with kind of other schools that you've seen what what have you seen that's really good practice yeah so one of the things, so I'm the digital lead in my school for for this, so it's really quite kind of high up on our agenda. I think t- I would totally agree in terms of innovation. Um, I think in terms of you know skills building for young people and for staff, we have probably managed to achieve you know five years worth of work in the space of ten months. Do you know? I think. We have done so, so well, and I think we need to be incredibly proud of that achievement um, because no planning, you know, if we think about school improvement planning, no planning would have ever delivered the the impact that we are seeing just now in terms of that innovation. And I think just that willingness for, for teachers to try things, and if they don't work, learn from it and try something different. But in terms of the kind of innovation, I think, well, we've really seen um, things like Glow come into their own, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in my school, we use Google Classroom. And one of the real, real positives for us as a school has been the use of Google Classroom whilst we were in school. That was We were really encouraging our teachers to make sure that they were supplementing the face-to-face teaching that we saw from August to December. So we were kind of anticipating something like this, but obviously unsure, like many, many other teachers across Scotland. Um, so we were planning that you would have resources, you'd have a space online for, for your lessons um, where you would kind of submit homework and so on. And that would get young people and staff used to that environment. It would also support young people who were absent or having to self-isolate. Um, so it provided them access to the learning. Um, and then now that we've moved into a second lockdown, we're now using Google Classroom. But one of the things that's been really interesting to see is how young people are given feedback. So previously it's been quite um, 
written or or kind of verbal you know that's the been the main two ways i mean our staff are now using qr codes and they're recording themselves so actually they're hearing young people are scanning or now that it's online and they're at home they're clicking and hearing their teacher actually giving them verbal feedback so it's a little voice note attached to the work they've submitted and not only does that reduce the amount of time that teachers have to spend on giving feedback so therefore meaning that it's a much better use of their time but it also enhances the feedback because you know yourself it's a lot quicker to talk through something than write that down and also you don't have the space to do that and the structure for it so if you hear your teacher giving you that verbal feedback that is much more powerful than any written feedback um, because you're able to to maybe give examples and stuff like that so i think that's been superb to see um, and i think that's something that will stay well beyond this oh definitely i think that is a real sort of paradigm shift isn't it in terms of mm. Feedback assessment, and there's so much of this when the dust settles that it will be an interesting um, conversation around what are the elements here that we want to keep, what are the things that we want to put forward. And the bit that you touched on there in terms of skills development for, for both young people and for staff is that we're mm -hmm. now at the point where the world is a completely different place when we return, even when things get back to inverted commas normal. Actually, yeah. The, the skills that people have now are just so we've upskilled ourselves so much to the point that it, it's a different conversation do you know it's a mm -hmm. it's a different thing that we're talking about I think for me the biggest part of um like innovation that I've seen or the thing that I would say I'm most excited about has been the the use of the moving image the use of kind of video and recorded video so similar to your feedback audio feedback but just the the way that it changes the way that people think about how they can show things do you know so mm -hmm. from, from an instruction point of view staff being able to pre-record lessons and have them up for children to watch at their own pace to be able to re-watch to to kind of reduce the cognitive load on them to be able to pause it whenever they're ready for that i think that has been huge i think mm -hmm. you can video as a form of communication so being able to post up video messages being able to yep. up feedback to post examples and models where children are not responding well to something to then show a video and just demonstrate that through a, a range of ways you know just simple camera on talking to the camera screen recording embedding videos from other sources i'm very excited as some i've always been passionate about kind of moving image education and the use of moving image mm -hmm. and i just that that has been one of the things that I've been most excited about and 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 it's been a really engaging thing for for our learners and and for a lot of the kind of colleagues that I've been speaking to as well that's been a huge uh, and I would agree with that I think we've we've seen a huge kind of leap forward with that as well not only people using other people's content um but also people creating their own content as well and that's been fantastic to see um we had a few early adopters around flipped learning in terms of you know giving a lot more ownership to young people providing resources to work at their own pace what you described um, and now i would say we have a lot more people who've bought into that who are actively using that in their practice today and it's fantastic to see um, and i think one of the real positives is they're seeing the difference it is making to young people in their progress you know, it's hard to do that when you see other people's practice and then 
you can't really imagine. Whereas actually, people have been thrown into this situation. So yeah. they've had to do it, haven't they? They've had to adopt this. They've had to, yeah. And I think because ultimately every single professional that works with children and young people wants the best for them. So yes, they've been able to kind of put themselves outside their comfort zone and just think, right, here are the possibilities. What is the best thing for, for the children that I have a duty to care over? And I think that's been... It's been an amazing place and a really kind of overwhelming place as a school leader to be able to observe a, a whole staff just turn their hand to something that is completely out with what they would do part and parcel in their sort of daily professional lives. And now so proficient with it and 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 really, really creative and working collaboratively using a range of interactive tools to supplement their pre-recorded lessons. I just think it's it, it really is incredible. One of the questions that does kind of float at the back of my mind, though, and this isn't a slight on anybody at all, it's more just it almost redefines what we are considering education to be almost to, to a degree, you know, like it, it, it gets to the point where we think about what is it that what is it that we're as schools there to provide what is it that we're wanting to provide you know so there's been a lot of the discussion has been around instruction do you know mm -hmm. and, and then then we've got to a point where the the, the discussion has turned to a kind of pastoral discussion so we've had live check-in calls and it's it's actually that obviously boils to the surface because that's a huge part of what we do and through feedback and through listening to children and families and teachers, that was the thing that everyone was missing and the technology is there for us to be able to do that. So having those emotional check-ins is really important. So you've got instruction, you've got your pastoral side of things. It just changes the whole dynamic, I think, because then what was a, a relatively, um, like a lesson is taught in a classroom and, and albeit that kind of lives on in people's memories and people study and look back at it and think about it but ultimately that's then gone whereas this then is there forever from an instruction perspective that actually changes it you know you can go back to that you can you can think about that you can revise that from a revision perspective from a high school level that must be game-changing for you guys oh without a doubt yeah and I as I said that's been one of the the key areas of focus in terms one and two because of that uncertainty that we had um, and obviously with the focus on exams that you mentioned there that also I think is has probably thrown into the limelight and this will move a wee bit away from digital stuff but it's thrown into a wee bit of limelight that whole question around the high stakes assessments at, end, at the end of, of certain courses because you know some are 100% some have coursework some have an end of year exam um, and I think That'll be now two years where we've not had high stakes exams by the end of this session. And it will really make people think, well, do we need that in our education system? Is that right? And you know, I guess we've probably had or we've not had that discussion, but we had that thought at the beginning of Curriculum for Excellence mm -hmm. when we looked at what that would look like. But probably we didn't really delve into that question that much, apart from maybe tinkering at the edges in terms of taking National 4 away from the yeah. exam. So I think for me, that will be an interesting um, discussion point moving forward as to the role of assessment. 
because I think as well that has been really key um, in terms of the digital aspect. Do you know, like, as you say, you can assess people from a video they send you, from an audio clip, from written stuff that they're sending you. So that's probably opened up the, the assessment window, if you like, and it's probably taken it away from the more traditional, you know, set a test and under exam style conditions and submit it because we've just not been able to replicate that in the online world. And then my cynicism sort of creeps in here because, and I feel that are we, that that is that is the key takeaway from all of this surely is that that all those discussions that we've ever had before about the nature of high stakes assessment and, mm-hmm. and whether that is fit for purpose in a modern modern world and is it equitable is it mm-hmm. is it the best way to show it that is the discussion that this has led to that is what we need to be having yes we're facing too many operational managerial setbacks at the moment to have that discussion and to do that discussion justice because we're reacting we're very reactive at the moment and I think we're reacting very well but it's quite hard at the moment to be strategic and to really consider that so is it is it a catalyst for a conversation that will then go on because it's not a conversation that you want to have lightly or do quickly but the fact that there's been two years without it and then the the kind of impetus that that puts on professional judgment, on teacher judgment, which then has a knock-on impact on to professional development, professional learning, the, the, it reclaims the profession. I mean, the fact that we are able to now uh, get to a point where teacher judgment is such front and centre in the conversation, my cynicism comes from are we ever going to get to a point where the education system can move away from this kind of bureaucratic business capital model of assessment quite high level assessments that we need to prove our worth do you think we could ever get to a point where that's they're not needed no and that's not because i don't think they should um i think that unless and until education becomes less political there's always going to be the need to justify performance in that way. Um, and I think that's a really sad situation to be in, but maybe the, this these two years may impact on that. I don't know. Well, I think it's an interesting one because for me, it then becomes about education or formal education, school education should be my opinion is that it should be about meeting the needs of the individual, of a community, of a society. Mm-hmm. And for yeah. us to continue, to continue now along, so to go back to normal without us considering the fact that those needs at all of those levels have changed greatly. Yeah. And uh-huh. I think if the balance is wrong, if the balance is purely about less about sort of socializing an individual and more about achieving qualifications which I would argue Mm -hmm. that's where we got to a point in the balance of tip in the favor of that's what the purpose of education was then then that's dangerous and then we get really dangerous things that happen like the the farce with the SQA and the algorithm and everything that went wrong because actually that wasn't the right decision at that point that wasn't oh absolutely 
without a doubt, I totally agree with you. I guess I'm not sure how much, again, me being a wee bit cynical here, because you're dragging me down, Mr Moyer. Um, so. <laughs> I'm not sure, will we just all go back to normal, because that's what we're comfortable with, or will we be brave and daring to think the unthinkable and be different? I don't know. I hope we do learn from this experience and really have a deep look at yeah. what we are valuing and what we think young people need after this. And, and I, I think, think we, sorry, oh, just, go, sorry. A, just on that point, and sorry to interrupt, we've had to turn our cameras off, so I can't really see Jason and point at him when I'm going to speak anymore. But the, 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 the point I was going to raise there was reclaiming the profession is what we need to do. I mean, it's written into the standards. There's a new GTCS standards as of next session coming into play. And a, a huge part of that is about the inquiring professional, about the critical license that we have to critically engage with, with the world around us. And the only way that that is going to happen is if we have that critical consciousness to be able to go out and to be able to investigate and inquire and ask why, why are things this way? And actually, it's it's incumbent upon us to be able to to not let it go back to normal because those who are in control or who have power are not going to relinquish that power. We have to question it and we have to challenge it. And it's it's up to us as a group of professionals to be able to say, actually, here's why we think this is the way forward. Here's why we feel there needs to be an increase in uh, looking at mental health within the curriculum. Here's why mm -hmm. we need take the foot off accountability and uh, attainment statistics because actually that's not what our learners need at this moment that's not what our staff need at the moment but I think I, I don't dis I don't disagree with you Jude I guess what is difficult is we're currently within a context where we've probably seen more centralization in the last 10 months than we've probably ever seen and and that's been needed because we've been in the middle of a global health pandemic so but i think you cannot just dismiss the impact of of decisions taken at that kind of central level on how that will affect people's collaboration how it affect people in terms of how they're feeling empowered um, to make these decisions because i think we were probably before the pandemic we were at a really really good place in terms of collaboration and empowerment and we were moving in the right direction about taking a wee bit more control for all these decisions so that the people who are making the decisions are the people in schools who, who know young people best um, and I'm just not sure that we will bounce back as quickly um, in terms of back on that road to empowerment and collaboration. I think we'll probably we will still have to build our resilience up and part of it will need to be around how do we build people's confidence back up to make those decisions because we've lived in a, an era of deferring to other people to make those decisions and I think that because that has happened for so long and this is not a criticism this is just where we're at you know we're currently um, waiting on the next review so that is just that is now part of our psyche in terms of what we're doing in education. Um, so that will change, that will take some time to change people's mindset 
going back to that sense of empowerment and collaboration is my view. No, I think yeah, that's really insightful. That's a really good point because I think the psyche has changed. And I suppose there's two ways to react to that after, isn't there? And I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think Scottish education is sort of built upon or founded upon principles that that would make me think that there's going to be a huge amount of um I don't there's not going to be a centralization hanging over us longer than it needs to no I think, no not at all I think what we run the risk at the moment I would say and those brave conversations those critical conversations that I was saying are so important that are happening all over the country that are happening all the time that as a as a profession in its entirety I think there's we're, we're jaded, we're we're exhausted, we're mm-hmm. um, we need a period of recovery, and I suppose there needs to be quite a a lot of consideration put into what that looks like, what that feels like. So that encompasses our assessments and attainment, like we were talking about. That includes professional development. That includes everything, health and well-being, and it's mm-hmm. it's going to be a really difficult conversation and it's not there's not going to be a binary point where everything's back to normal then we can have those conversations no absolutely not and I guess the other for me the other key issues you've mentioned health and well-being there for young people and for staff I think linked to that will be a key question around recruitment and retention of people you know I, I really really worry about people's resilience levels and Maybe at the end of this, we maybe see a mass exodus of people at all levels, perhaps, or the profession not being as attractive as it once was because the goalposts have now changed. You know, we've adapted to a new world um, with new challenges. So I guess that that's kind of uncertain. But on the, the flip side of that, the real positives, going back to the, the digital aspect, it may bring to the forefront the whole idea around equity that that really we should be moving towards a one-to-one solution for everyone in Scotland because that has been a key barrier at the moment and, and credit to the Scottish Government they have um, provided additional resources to schools so that they can um, provide devices and you know hotspots and so on to, to resolve connectivity issues. But I wonder if that has just thrown into the forefront the whole idea around poverty and equity as being a real barrier to education, whether it's digital or not. And and maybe one of the solutions is to to make sure that every young person in Scotland is given a device to access whatever learning that may be. And also now, I think one of the other really interesting things as a, a computer science teacher is Wi-Fi and connectivity to the internet, I think, is almost on a par as a human right, and it's it's up there now as an essential thing that you need, um, and that's been pushed into the forefront of of this due to the pandemic. What yeah. do you think? I think yeah, I think there's so many interesting points there, and I think the 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 digital sort of fallout of this and recognizing that digital technology can have a very powerful impact on learning 
and certainly on the way that we are doing learning at the moment um, it's a way to sort of future-proof things it's a way to make us think differently or continue the conversation I think mm -hmm. that the, the argument almost of it being a, a kind of quick fix or something that will um, act as a way of reducing attainment gap or or kind of trying to give technology to a problem that's far far more complex than that is quite a reductionist argument I oh yeah absolutely and, and and what i'm not saying uh, sorry for interrupting um you do it all the time though. um no i i'm not i totally agree with what you're saying there um and probably more than ever what we've gone through has just shown us that, that we can't just throw money at a problem. And actually the things that matter are relationships. And I think that is so, so important um, that young people need to be known by, you know, teachers who know them really well, but also need a socialization aspect of school. You know, it's not just about going there to learn, it's actually about how you interact with people, how you communicate with other young people. Um, but I think for me, the real key aspect of this is for any doubters out there who thought that, you know, this 20, I don't know, I don't want to put a year on it, but I, I some date in the future, some arbitrary date in the future, where at some point teachers would be all replaced by a computer. I think they need to go back and rewrite their um, future plans because I think it's just shown the value of teachers in society and also in education. You know, we can't, we won't see a world where young people are sitting at a computer because that is not able to replicate or provide and meet the needs for young people. Oh, definitely. And I think that's, for me, one of the sort of key silver linings to take out of all of this is that the, the celebration of human connection that... Mm -hmm that we're all seeking and all missing and all just wanting to have in the school, been able to have that buzz of energy and enthusiasm of everybody sort of learning and socialising and understanding the world and questioning the world. I think that's the, the bit that actually hopefully we will take away from it and it will hopefully help us consider sort of back to what we were saying at the start the sort of morals and ethics around digital learning and what that means and just because we can doesn't mean that we have we should absolutely and I, I think that's that's really important and then it's interesting that this evening's conversation started about reading and talking <laughs> about walks and things that actually there is so much uh, at the moment about the sort of the the lure of technology and the kind of omnipresent um notifications and things but actually mm -hmm. it's what we're all to escape and it's yes yeah. it's a really interesting point for us to be having that discussion in a really real way with children at the moment as well who have experienced that themselves and i think that'll be a real positive for us moving out of this too definitely and i think on that note i think you summed it up really well there um i think so i'm going to ask you one last question and, and then i'll ask Go for it. answer it as well I guess, what is your one wish of the thing that we are going to, no, let's not make it one. What would you start, what would you stop, and what would you keep about the current um, situation we're in? 
That is a very good question. Have you prepared that in advance? That is very I haven't. Good. I'm just so on the, the hoof. <laughs> start, stop. So the, the, the continue, what was it? Start, stop, continue? Yeah, start, stop, keep or continue, whatever language you want to use. So the, the, let's start with continue because it's easier okay. to talk about the present. Um, it's the engagement at all levels, I suppose. So what I love is this, and we've spoken about it at various points this evening, but the, the, the sort of can-do solution focused, let's, let's just find a solution and work through this. So that sort of mm -hmm. engagement from, from all parties, from, from parents, from children, from staff, and I, I've just loved that mentality and that's led to increased engagement. People just reaching out and wanting to be part of the school and the school creating that real ethos around things. So engagement is that I want to see what I can do to continue that level mm -hmm. of engagement that we've had and that focus on engagement. Um, what I'd like to start is a discussion around the nature of assessment and attainment and I would really like to start sort of breaking down barriers and unpeeling that and getting into the depths of that. Um, uh -huh. And what I would like to stop, I would like to stop even even for a, for a brief period of time, I would like to stop using <laughs> Teams, the team's ringtone gives <laughs> now. <laughs> we don't have to do that. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's probably loads of things I could talk about there, but that's that's my start, stop, continue. What about you? Um, so I think start, I think what I think we need to do is when we do come back, we maybe need to just really appreciate, and I don't know how we do this, but just really appreciate and just utilise all those human connections and all those opportunities that we have in a school. You know, once we are back, because I think we all take for granted, you know, the time that we have together, the walking down the corridor and catching that conversation with someone or, you know, seeing a young person and just kind of giving them a bit of praise. I think we just need to enhance that even further and just be really really grateful and I think that has proven to everyone you know people can can often grumble about aspects of having a bad day and so on but oh my goodness taking that away has really just shone a light in terms of what we're all missing here in terms of our relationships with everyone um, whether it's parents young people partners um, and each other um, so that's the, the thing I really want people to do is, is kind of appreciate one another and, and show that that kindness to each other um, that compassion. And I know people were doing that before, but I think we could just take it to the next level. Um, in terms of stopping, well, I think it's kind of linked to teams, but, you know, meetings that that could be done. Um, on teams and you don't have to travel to them I think you know we need to stop wasting time traveling to things and maybe even we maybe need to be really radical around stopping things like um you know assemblies like everyone coming together in assembly or or parents evening because actually in particular parents evening it's maybe a wee bit easier for parents you know it fits them with their life better if they can join their teacher on a teams call 
rather than traipsing into the school or trying to overcome any barriers that might be there. So I think we maybe need to have a look at some of these things that we might need to stop and do them quite differently. Mm -hmm. um, and the last one was keep. I think the thing that I really am enjoying as well is that solution-focused approach. And and people are really, I mean, I don't think you can fault people at all because they have been so up for whatever we're doing. You know, things change at the last minute and that agility and the ability to adapt and, and just be solution-focused is a real, real strength. And I really, really hope that that stays. Um, and that's up to all of us to make sure it does, I guess. What a great conversation. I think that we could have gone on for hours and hours there because there's so much to talk about and there's months and months worth of uh, events and things that we've all gone the through. Tedial, yeah. <laughs> but um, that, was, that was really good. And I think there's probably people that would want to contribute to that discussion as well. So um, please do contribute and, and continue the discussion on Twitter. What's your experience been like? What are the positives? What are the things, obviously, that were, are not going so well? What are the things that you'd want to change? Uh, that might be a good question for people to to consider on Twitter as well. What would you start, stop and continue? But I think um, I'd like to talk to you now a little bit, Jace, about some of these books that I've been reading. Um, the the Just a really good series of books from uh, John Cat. Now, a lot of people have mentioned these to me before we even had John Cat as a sponsor on the show. And I think it's one of those ones that we'd want to talk about books that we really enjoyed. But there's these series, it's the Research Ed um, series mm -hmm. of books that they produced. And there's there's a few of them in the in the series now, but the, the two that I've read, uh, one's called Education Myths, that's edited by Craig Barton. He does the, the Mr. Barton Maths podcast. Uh, it's a really good one. And the, the, the second one is a book about the curriculum edited by Claire Seeley. They're both just fantastic. It's kind of a combination of essays, many essays from a range of the kind of great and the good of education at the moment. Um, and just fantastic little sort of chapters to get you thinking, to get you questioning your practice. And I don't agree with everything that's written in them, but it's just the way that they're done and the way that they're written, it really just makes you stop and think. Um, okay. One of the particular chapters is that what you're going to ask me have i just preempted your i question? don't know you asked me to ask a question i've not even asked a question yet it has been a while i know you like to talk um, <laughs> um so give me a, an education myth then give me one and then just so i can get a flavor and then i can give a wee bit of thinking time about what another possible myth might be there to be debunked yeah, so, I mean, one of the the, the really interesting chapters I liked in this one was by Tom Sherrington, the head guru teacher, the one that, that, that wrote the Rosenshine Principles book, the, the kind of upstate yeah. version of, of the and uh, the Learning Rainforest and the walkthrough book that we loved that he illustrated by... Oh, I love that um, His chapter is brilliant in this because it's it's... And it's something I suppose that I've, it's kind of something that I'm noticing a lot at the moment as well. It's the myth that there's a kind of, 
the opposites or a sort of dichotomy between teacher-led instruction versus student-centred instruction. Okay. He suggests that this is a myth because actually, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing hugely and he's much more kind of articulate and eloquent than I am in the chapter, but um, he's basically saying that actually education is far more complex than that, that it's, it's, um, it's, to reduce it down to two polar opposites or to reduce it to that point is one the evidence doesn't support any claim like that but also it's there's parts of both teacher-led instruction and student-centered instruction that are worthwhile and beneficial and any very good teacher would use elements of both so that's a really interesting factor and it goes quite quite nicely into the sort of research on either side of that and talks about that really quite nice uh, in a really nice way. It is also so is it a, a research, a, so the essays are around research or do they give some practical elements or suggestions or is it mainly a theory-based approach? It's, it's a bit of both really. I mean it's mainly okay. sort of theoretical with grounded quite heavily in practice or discussed by practitioners so it's not okay. Not too dense and not too heavy, sort of academic. So it's prose, accessible, but... and you know, and and for a, a particular chapter, you might be able to pick this up. Maybe, you know, if you've got like a free period or a lunch, and um, uh -huh. you can sit and read it. Easy read. So there's what maybe six or seven chapters, six or seven essays, and the whole book itself is only a hundred pages long. So we're okay. talking maybe yeah. three or four pages per. Um, per chapter. Thoroughly, thoroughly recommend Education Myths ones. There's a fascinating chapter by um, Greg Ashman on uh, differentiation, which has completely opened up a brand new conversation around differentiation and what we mean by differentiation. And actually the myth sort of inherent within that is that there is even such a thing as differentiation because we all mean something different when we're talking about differentiation. So again, loads of parts in it. That That's I so true, isn't it? I'm not the biggest fan of 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 Greg Ashman as much as I I love a lot of the stuff that he writes and it's really engaging. But I do find sometimes it, it can be quite flippant and quite one sided and contributing to this kind of um, like binary view of education. But that's an interesting chapter, and I would definitely thoroughly mm. recommend the Sounds curriculum like one. Is the one though at least, and that that's the most important thing when you read these things, isn't it? That really if it's question making you question things then that's enough you know like that's that's yeah. just as valuable as as you agreeing with it or you know taking it on board what in your practice perfect for it would be perfect for a staff um, professional reading group do you know where you pick up mm -hmm. one chapter we discuss that because it's really bite-sized it's accessible it's easy but it makes you think and it, it's quite controversial some of it as well and I think the the curriculum one especially some of the stuff within that is just totally opened up my eyes and made me think about the curriculum in a completely different way in a really critical way and and Claire Seeley edits that and it's a really well-edited book I would say because a lot of the chapters are quite uh, conflicting and it makes you think of things from different perspectives as well so um yeah as much as there's there's kind of I don't agree with everything that's written within them and I think you would be the same in many respects mm -hmm. it's a really good catalyst for thought definitely so I would recommend both of them. Okay fantastic 
Um, well, thanks very much for that, Jude. And thank you to our friends at John Cat Publishing um, who have sponsored this show. Excellent. Well, I think we're kind of arriving at the end of our first week in a while, and it's, uh, it's been a very enjoyable experience. Thanks, Jace. It has. Thank you, Jude. And we will be back um, providing you regular podcasts. As usual, um, interact with us on our Twitter account, which is at EduBleather. Um, and we look forward to continuing the discussion with you. And we will speak to you soon. John Cat Educational are a leading publisher of professional development books for educators around the world. Check out their titles at johncat.com.